Have you ever been uh, told how to get someplace, uh, but you ignore the directions? <laughs> you listened, but not really. <laughs> when I first moved down to St. Pete uh, about eight years ago, I uh, lived in the old northeast, and uh, every alleyway looks the same. And so uh, I was told that, hey, be careful, you know, I, I went on a run. I was there for like, uh, just moved in, been there a day or two, and I was like, hey, you remember where you're at? Remember the streets, all that? I was like, ah, oh, I'm fine. So I went on a two to three mile run. And as I started to come home, it was a little dark, and I was like, they all look the same. (laughs) And so I was, like, running down alleyways, and what started as, like, a two- to three-mile run ended up being, like, a five- or six-mile run. (laughs) And I finally got home exhausted, you know, tired, and a little bit embarrassed, (laughs) you know, and and remembering, all right, I'm going to listen (laughs) to what they tell me next time. Uh, Luckily, I'm married to someone now that has a little bit better directional sense, so anytime I go on long trips, I just bring her with me, Um, and they're actually, it was, uh, it took several times for me to finally acknowledge it. We had to go on several different trips, and us have different wagers, like, no, it's this way, and she's like, no, it's this way, and I lost, and after a number of times, I was like, all right, we're just going to trust you, and so we we go with what (laughs) what she says. Um, The reason, you know, why, why I share this, the reason I say this is because Uh, In our passage, Jesus, he urges us, he says that we need to be careful to hear because it it impacts where we go. It impacts entering into his kingdom. You see, there's no GPS, there's no Google Maps to God's kingdom. Simply just listening and nodding along, um, it can be dangerous. It can be deceptive. It can lead us into a false sense of assurance that we know where we're heading when we actually haven't truly understood. You see, the kingdoms of this world, they, they say that the kingdoms of the world, they say that the way to, uh, to, to lead, the way to take charge, um, they say it's by, the way to ga- is to gain a hearing, right? So the kingdoms of the world, they say, come, follow me, and they do that by gaining the hearing. They, they tell people, you know, I mean, you watch any political debate, right? It's always these snapshots, these, listen to me, I'm powerful, I'm bold, I lead, and so they gain a hearing. They tell people, come, follow me, because listen to me. The kingdom of God is so different, though. It comes to those who will give a hearing, It comes to those not who say, listen, I'm empowered, listen to me, follow me. It comes to those who are willing to listen, who will open their ears, who will hear. It's so revolutionary, this idea that the kingdom of God comes to those that will listen, will open up their minds, will say, I want to understand. How are you hearing about Jesus? Do you have ears to hear what he says? And that's the question that he asks in this passage. And so we're going to read in Luke 8, uh, verses 1 through 18. Verse 1 says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of uh, Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root, believing for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Verse 16 says, No one, after lighting the lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This is God's word. So there's three things that I want to look at today. Uh, The first is a gospel movement. We see that in verses one through three, a gospel movement. The second is uh, where he talks about the parable of the sower. That's where we spend most of our time. And the third is, um, is just everything visible, how he talks about that everything will be disclosed, nothing will be hidden. So first is a gospel movement. Jesus is on a mission to bring a revolutionary movement through Israel and also to the world. This movement, it can't be contained, it can't be stopped, it can't be held in just one place or just with one people. Earlier in Luke, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus is about his Father's will, and it moves him to travel from village to city, continuing to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God to everyone around. You know, this gospel movement that Jesus brought, it, it meant freedom for those that were enslaved. It meant healing for those that were sick and that were ailing. It meant restoration for those that were outcast. For those that had ears to hear and to receive his kingdom, it brought all of these things. You see, but Jesus didn't just do it alone. Though he was the front runner, he, he had a community around him. He, as a traveling rabbi, he, uh, he traveled with his followers And his followers, this group of people that he brought along with him, they were a testament to the kingdom of God that he was proclaiming. They demonstrated it. The the 12 that traveled with him, they had uh, an eclectic and unusual background for disciples, right? We have a group of fishermen, of zealots, and also a former tax collector. Not exactly disciple material for rabbis in that day. They were actually the outcast, the one that um, hadn't been trained or schooled in the law, not only that, but Jesus also took support and traveled with, with women. Now, some of these women, they had been uh, healed of evil spirits, uh, others from sickness, and perhaps some had just been drawn by Jesus' mercy and by his grace. For us, we think it's commonplace, but this was actually scandalous. Rabbis didn't travel with women, ever, not even their own wives. But Jesus, he comes and he welcomes women in 
to be his disciples, to follow alongside him, to, to learn from him. This is absolutely countercultural in a, in a time when women were often seen as possessions. Jesus elevates them and says, no, you are disciples. You are worthwhile. Come and follow me. And th- there were three that, is, that are prominent we see. is Mary, and it says, from whom seven demons had come out. And so he had, he had healed her. He'd cast out evil. And not only does he heal, but he welcomes her and out to join him, to follow him. Joanna, who is, it says, is the, the wife of the household manager for King Herod. And it, let's, let's remember, King Herod, that was the one that uh, has Jesus' cousin executed, right? And so Jesus is welcoming every different kind of, of person into his community. And it says, in Susanna, but not only did they travel with him, but it says that they actually supported his cause, right? That they must have had some kind of means. And so they're not just merely kind of uh, tagging along with Jesus. They're actually key contributors of his ministry and of supporting the disciples. And so we see here just how much Jesus elevates uh, women through his ministry. And as we said, but these traveling companions, I mean, they're, they're a ragtag kind of bunch from everybody that looks on the outside. But this is exactly why Jesus chose them. And why he said, come follow me, because they were the demonstration that he wanted people to see of what his kingdom is like. A kingdom that brings people from entirely different and sometimes opposing ideologies, and it brings them together. A kingdom that not only casts out evil and heals sickness, but it it brings them and now uh, to restore a new community where they learn to follow Jesus together. A new kingdom that brings purpose and joy as we no longer live for ourselves and for our kingdoms, but, but rather for him, for him. It's a kingdom that knows no bounds, that can't be defeated. It is coursed through centuries, continents, languages, races, sexes, and it, it forms a people united by Christ. It's why we're here today. We are here today celebrating and rejoicing in the power of God's kingdom to form us as, as local church St. Pete We are examples that his kingdom, it continues to know no bounds. It continues to course through and have its way. That its power is still effective. This is, it's what unites and drives us as his church. You know, there are people, because of this new life, this new kingdom, there are people that we probably wouldn't have talked to in our old lives, but now we find ourselves loving and in fellowship with. The good news of God's grace towards us not only does it bring us together as God's community, not only does it unite us as a church, but it also it sends us out on mission. It propels us to go out. You see, the gospel movement, the revolutionary movement that Jesus brought, it's still happening. It is still working in and through his church. You see, we're discontent to just stay here, but it propels us out into our neighborhoods, into our coworkers, into our family, into our friends to demonstrate and to proclaim what God has done in our lives. And as they see, as they hear this, they get a chance to look inside and see the church. You see, we're never meant to do this on our own. And as we do this together, people can look inside and see the church and see the demonstration of God's kingdom. That he can bring people that maybe have different political allegiances, people that have different backgrounds, people from different races, different sexes, and he can bring us together because of a love for Jesus. Jesus' revolutionary movement, it continues through us right here. Let us continue to be a part of it and be thankful that we get to join him in seeing lives transformed. So we've seen that, that he is bringing a revolutionary movement. The second thing is that as we see the parable of the sower, 
So as Jesus is traveling and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, um, a large crowd gathers around him. Now, Jesus has like celebrity status. Um, Everybody wants a piece of Jesus, you know? Um, He is the new thing on the scene. They want to be near him. They want to touch him. Um, And the first thing that he does as this large crowd is gathering around them is that he tells them a parable. Now, what is a parable? Because this is one of the the most prominent parables in all the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospel. They they kind of run together, uh, tell a a very similar story. Um, And this is usually the first prominent parable. And he warns, he says, you better get this right. This is the most important. If you don't understand this, how are you to understand the rest of the parables? And so we're first kind of introduced into a parable. We have to ask, what is a parable? Well, a parable, it means to actually come alongside. It is a story that demonstrates God's kingdom, which is just his reign in everyday, ordinary life. But it's, it's a story that shows God's kingdom in everyday terms, in everyday life. And Jesus loves parables, right? It's the centerpiece of his, you know, one of the centerpieces of his ministry. He's always telling people parables. Why? It's because they're powerful, right? They're powerful because we get to step inside a a story. We get to almost walk in that story and feel it and see it and taste it and understand what his kingdom is like. And so he he tells us this parable about a, a farmer or a sower who goes out and, and starts sowing seed. Now, this, uh, this farmer that's sowing seed, um, he's not doing the traditional harvest. You see, in Israel, there were two different harvests. There was one that was in the wintertime, and that was the, the traditional harvest that the, the Jews had, is that they would, they would sow in the wintertime. Why? Because it's more consistent. You know, it's, you've got, you know, more consistent weather, you've got more consistent rainfall, and so that was the primary one, and you could kind of, you knew what you are going to get. It was more expected results. But Jesus is here. He's talking about the summer harvest, right? And that was one that was done more infrequently because the crop was more risky. You didn't know exactly how much you were going to get. It could be a bountiful year or it could be just nothing. And so he talks, he says, there's a, there's a, a farmer that goes out to sow. And he, and he says he starts to sow his seed. And as he's sowing, right, he's just grabbing and he's throwing. He says, there's seed that, that falls along the path. And that path was, was where the farmers would walk in between what was tilled, what was open. And he says, it falls along the path. And it's, it's hard. And so the birds of the air, they come down and they pick it up and they devour it. And it says there's other seed that falls along and that the ground is it's rocky and so it's not very deep, right? The roots can't get through and because it's shallow, it springs up really quickly, right? It, it shoots up. But because it has no moisture, when the sun comes up, it's so hot that it can't survive and it quickly fades. There's other seed that, that falls and, and it seems as if it's good soil, Right? It starts to take, you think the roots are going down, but there's weeds in that soil also. And so it comes and it, it chokes out what is good and so that that seed is not able to mature. It's not able to bring a, a full crop. And he says, but there's last. There's seed that it falls on good soil and it, it, its roots go deep and it goes up high and it yields a crop that is unimaginable. Right, Jesus says it yields a crop of a hundredfold. Right, and we're kind of like, well, great, that sounds awesome. What is a hundredfold? Right, well, tenfold was a, a really good crop. Right, if you got a tenfold increase on your crop, you're thinking that's that's a pretty good, you know, it's worthwhile. Twentyfold is, hey, this has been a phenomenal year. If you have a thirtyfold year, that's a once in a lifetime. That is saying, hey, this is. You tell your friends, your neighbor, everybody, hey, I had a thirtyfold year. You better get on on this, you know. Or you tell them like, hey, you missed out on that thirtyfold year. You know, you should have sowed when I was sowing. A hundredfold is something that's unheard of. It is, 
I mean, because the sower has risks, right? If you're sowing seed, you've got risks. I mean, you're, you're throwing out seed, you've got time. I mean, that's what hangs over every farmer's head is, has my labor been in vain? Is it, is it, is, are the crops going to grow? And so you've got this risk, but man, at the even possibility of a hundredfold, it seems insane not to go out and to sow. And so Jesus says that the reward is, is well worth the labor. And so we... So we, we see that he, yeah, the results are incredible. It makes any risk the farmer took seem not only reasonable but obvious. And Jesus ends this parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him, let him hear, right? And so the disciples were kind of, they're confused. Like, what does this parable mean? You just told us a story about a farmer sowing, and we're f- disciples. Like, we're fishermen, we're zealots, we're like former tax collectors. Like, this isn't our profession. Like, what exactly does this mean? And so Jesus, you know, and other, the other parables, Jesus is like, uh, and the other gospels, sorry, uh, Jesus is like, oh man, who have I picked? They don't, they don't understand it. And so he takes them aside, and he, he begins to explain it. And we probably, too, have similar questions of like, what does this mean? How does this apply to my life? And so Jesus begins to unpack it. And he says the first thing, he says, what is the seed? He says the seed is the, is the word of God. It's, it's the kingdom. It's the gospel. And the kingdom of God is God's power and his reign breaking into earth. Right? When we think of, oftentimes when we think of Christianity, a lot of people think, well, it's my sins being forgiven and me dying and, going to be, and being in heaven. And that's great, right? If that's all that Jesus came, that's a good thing. That's an awesome thing. I mean, forgiveness of sins is phenomenal. But Jesus comes to bring a kingdom here and now. And he welcomes us to participate in that kingdom here and and now, and that kingdom is where God's reign, his rule, his loving authority, it breaks into our lives. And it begins to reverse all the pain, all the sin, all the brokenness that has come. It starts to reverse all, it, all the things, the economic brokenness that we see. It starts to bring equality as we are generous, right? The, the spiritual brokenness that we have, it starts to bring healing as we're united with God. All these areas of brokenness is what the kingdom of God comes in and it starts bringing healing and here. And now, when he says that the kingdom of God, that this, it's like a seed, right? And if you look at a seed, you're kind of underwhelmed. You know, you're like, it's, it's small, and it's easily broken. I mean, it looks weak, you know? But a seed, he says, it's, it's like a seed because it seems small, and it seems weak, and it seems as if it's not going to accomplish its goals, but it's actually the most powerful because once it's put underground, it begins to change things from the inside out, right? It can change the entire landscape, but it does so smallly, little bit at a time. And once it emerges, right, it starts to take over. I mean, we look at the great redwood forest, and all of those came from a small seed. And it dominates and has been around for, for centuries. And so he says it's, the kingdom of God is like the seed, that it comes in small, that, and it starts its work from the inside out, and that's so true for us. Because right, we're used to the kingdoms of this world where it just comes in and we want something to smash it, right? Change things right now. And God says, no, I'm patient. I start working from the inside out. What, what does that mean? It means that the first thing when you receive his kingdom, he's gonna start working on your beliefs, right? Your behavior is gonna follow, but he's gonna start changing the way that you understand who God is and how you relate to him. He's gonna start changing the way that you understand how the world operates and your purpose in it. And as he changes your belief, you will start to see your behavior follows that belief. So often we want to have behavior management and we want to come in and we want to say, Jesus, if you just change these four things in my life, I'd be really happy. And he says, no, I don't want a piece of you. I don't want to just change your behavior. I want all of you and I will start from the inside out. 
And so he puts his seed of the kingdom in, and it starts growing, and it starts growing until we can no longer be content with what we used to do. We can no longer live the life that we used to live because he's changed our beliefs, and we, we can't be satisfied by what used to satisfy us because we see it's empty. And so he says that this is what the kingdom of God is like. It is like this subtle seed that comes in, and before you know it, it starts to grow, and it starts to take over everything. It starts to take over all of our life, and it brings newfound joy and peace and contentment as we hunger for him. So he, he says, though the, though the seed is powerful and though it can do this, he says it matters what kind of soil the seed lands on. All right? He says that there's, there's four kinds of, of soils, four kinds of hearers that this seed can encounter and the first one, he says, is that the seed can fall along a hard heart, right, or, or the, a hard path. You know, that, right, it's the seed that's sown, it falls along the path, and then the birds of the air come and, and devour it and take it away. The principal characteristic of seed that falls on a hard heart is pride, right? If you have a hard heart, it, it, the principal cause of your hard heartedness is, is pride. The inability to be humble or, or to see others as more important than yourself We've already seen this as Jesus encountered people from his hometown, right? In Luke 4, Jesus comes to his hometown. He gets to, you know, see all the people that have known him. You know, they've seen him since he's a little kid. And you would think, hey, you're right. we talked about it. You'd be a hometown here. Everybody's like, you know, come welcome, you know? But as Jesus teaches them, they think that you're going to give us favors, right? You're, you're our homeboy. You're going to give us favors. We're going to get the in with you. And Jesus starts to tell them, no, it's actually those that are outside that understand the kingdom more than you do. And their pride, their inability to, to see others as important, as valuable, their inability to say, you know, to not be entitled, it leads them to rage at Jesus, right? They reject his message because it doesn't fit in line with what they want. And it makes them so angry that they go to kick him off a cliff, right? They say, not only do we not like you now, but just we want to kill you. And so you see that pride drives them to anger and to hatred. We see the same thing with the Pharisees, right? It's their hard-heartedness that leads them to constantly test Jesus, C.S. Lewis, he notes, he says that pride is spiritual cancer. It eats at the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on other things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You see, hearing the kingdom of God, hearing, it requires humility. The first thing that hearing does is it says that you don't know. And that takes humility to acknowledge that I don't understand, that I actually need to stop and take in and process and submit myself underneath someone else so that I might understand what, what they're saying. It is taking the posture of a student and the proud, they don't truly listen, right? The proud, they might be able to regurgitate what you said, right? They can, you know, rattle off whatever you said, but they didn't actually take time to process, to reflect, to internalize what has been said and to let their life be changed by it. And so because of that, the seed is taken, right? They, they reject it without fully understanding what it is and the value of the seed. The second thing that Jesus talks about is he says that that's, uh, there's a shallow heart, right? And this is the seed that's so long, it's, it's rocky ground, and its roots aren't able to go through. And because the sun comes up, it, the, the heat, right, it, it withers away. Now, this seems to describe the, the crowds that Jesus encounters. And sometimes even those, the 70 that followed him, 
You know, G- Jesus' celebrity status mean that, that everybody uh, liked him for a while, right? Everybody liked Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't? Right? I mean, he comes along, he heals people, he casts out demons, he like, you know, feeds them bread, he entertains them. I mean, right? I mean, he's their, you know, uh, their pop star that comes along to give them a new show every once in a while. I mean, they didn't have TV, they didn't have anything else, right? They're looking for like wandering rabbis to say, hey, we're bored. We got another, you know, so like they're following Jesus along as like their entertainment, you know? And, and so they like Jesus as long as he's kind of meeting these things. I mean, there's even a part in John 6 where they're like, dude, Jesus for king. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're like, they're all like on board with Jesus. And then it's so interesting because in John 6, right as soon as he's got this huge crowd, everybody's like loving him. And they're like, let's make Jesus king. You would think Jesus is like, let's do it. Let's go. Like we're going to take Israel. And Jesus then goes and he tells them, it says he tells them a hard statement. He tells them, he gives them a hard teaching. Right when he's got all this momentum, everything's going his way, and he says, you don't understand what this is about. And he gives him a hard teaching. And it says that all the crowds, they almost take this like, ooh, I'm not sure if we like this guy anymore. <laughs> that's, a, like, that's a little, ah, I'm not sure, you know? He, like, he really said that? Like, he really went there? And so the crowds are like, ah, we're going to wait till he's going to feed us again. We're going to go away. And so they leave him, and then some of the disciples also start to leave him. And it gets so bad that he turns to the twelve. And he says, are you guys going to leave me too? Are are you guys going to leave also? Everybody else has left. Are are you still here? Peter, you know, one of the brilliant points in the ministry, you know, he goes, where else are we going to go? For you have the words of eternal life. You know, but it's, it's this, it's this shallow heart, right? And we see it still. It's when Jesus, when your goals align with my goals, right? I mean, Jesus, I want you to make me prosperous. I mean, I like money. Come on, give me some. I mean, I, I want my family to be healthy. Jesus, come make my family healthy. I want to be happy. And so, you know, I want to entertain, help my life to be full of fun things. I want to travel and go lots, see lots of places. I mean, so as long as Jesus, as long as you align with my goals, I mean, you're great. I really like you a lot. But as soon as Jesus, which inevitably he will do, gives us a hard teaching, or persecution comes, they fall away. Why? It's because they never actually worshiped Jesus. They never actually wanted him. They wanted to use Jesus, right? And their, their true idolatry, their true worship was revealed when they didn't get what they wanted. And they said, Jesus, you're no longer useful for these things because these things are what I really want. And Jesus says that when you get the kingdom, what happens in the kingdom is you get me. It does not promise, and I remember facing this in my life, it does not promise that your loved ones will never die. It does not promise that you will never face persecution or that what you have longed for might not happen the way that you expect it to. Jesus makes none of those promises. I mean, his cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded because he called out a political ruler for sleeping with his sister-in-law. I mean, things don't always happen the way that we want, but Jesus is enough. He's enough. And so we see he talks about the the shallow heart. The third one is he says that there's a divided heart, right? And this is seed that is thrown on what seems to be good soil, right? I mean, at first it it props up. It it seems like it's growing, that it's consistent, but there's thorns that come in and it it chokes out so that there's no fruit that, that happens. It says that the cares and the riches, the pleasures of life grab hold like thorns and choke out what God wants to do in this life. You see, out of all the three groups, this group is the most tormented, right? They are the most tormented. They are, they, they're stripped of joy and of peace because they, there's this inward division of their loyalty. 
There's a realization of the importance of Jesus, but this realization, it's strangled because there are other masters that are leading, that are guiding them, right? It's this mindset. I like Jesus and I want to follow him, but listen, let's not get crazy about it. I mean, moderation in all things, right? It's, it's that I'll give myself to Jesus, but just don't touch these areas of my life, Jesus. You know, as long as you don't dwell into my sex life, like, I'm great. You know, like, I mean, we're, we're good. As long as you don't talk to me about how I use my money, like, I mean, we're, we're totally fine. You know, as long as you don't impose or you, you call me to do things that might cost my comfort, you might call me to do things or to talk to people that might have, might be uncomfortable situation, then like, we're fine, Jesus. Right? But they're constantly torn between that because their loyalty is, is split. And it causes this fracture Right? There's, there's no true power in their life. They don't see things in their life being overcome by the power of the gospel. There's no peace or inward rest because they're constantly torn because they're trying to please so many different masters. Right? You see that they're, they're trying to please this and they're trying to achieve this. And so because of that, there's this inward tiredness. There's this restlessness that just continues to eat them up from the inside out. They're not able to fully rest in Christ. It's this divided loyalty that hinders the maturation of God's seed, that, that stops God's fruit from reaching its full maturity, which God wants to bring joy and peace and, overcome, and being able to overcome things. So the last, the last uh, soil is an open and undivided heart. It's, it's a receptive heart, right? This seed is thrown. It's on good soil. It takes deep root, and it, it brings a hundredfold. Right? This is the heart that listens with an open and an honest heart. They hold the word fast and with patience bear much fruit. Right? These are the disciples. Um, these are the women who are with Jesus in this story. I mean, we see different examples of, of who this looks like. But listen, the key word here is patience, is endurance. Right? The, the disciples had their moments of struggle. I mean, there are times where the disciples very much like, like they're a divided heart. I mean, all the way up to Jesus' crucifixion, where Peter's like, listen, I'll never deny you. The cock crows, and he's like, peace out. You know, I mean, like all the disciples ran away. And so you're, you're kind of wondering, like, is, what, did Jesus' fruit that he did, was his seed sowed, was on, were they divided hearts? But you see, it's with patience. They returned. They came back. And God knows, too, with us that it doesn't just happen in an instant that we will fall, we will make mistakes. There are times where our heart will be divided, we'll be broken in different places. And he says, but I am patient. I endure with you because I know that what I began, I will finish. And so it is with patience that this seed matures and that it grows. And man, aren't we, we're a testament that what Jesus started, it continues. I mean, think about it. Jesus is telling this parable because it's a reflection of his ministry. I mean, he, he's telling the disciples, guys, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm sowing seed out all around. As I'm going to villages and cities, I'm throwing the seed of God's kingdom out. And we are a declaration that it is fruitful, right? I mean, his seed, it fell on the disciples, and then they proclaimed it to those around them. And throughout hundreds and hundreds of years, we've seen that what Jesus sowed, it has produced a hundredfold and even more. And so we are such a, a testament that, it is, that God is faithful that Jesus' work, it, it is powerful, and it will continue on. Now, I want to do a couple just additional things about, about this parable. First, I want to encourage us 
uh, as sowers, right? Because this is, this parable, why it's describing Jesus' ministry, it's also describing what God would call us to. He calls us to participate in evangelism and, sh- and sowing the seed. And so, one, it shows us practically, you know, this helps us to see that in the Gospels, we can learn how to do that. How do you share the Gospel? Like, how do you talk to your friends about Jesus? How do you share it with your family? What do you actually do? And we learn, as we read the Gospel of Luke, how to actually do that. And let me tell you, it doesn't look the same, right? It, Jesus doesn't have a cookie-cutter method where he just is like, well, I'm going to say this, and then after that, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to really hook them with this thing, right? I mean, like, they're just going to, they're going to not see it coming. I'm going to grab them. They're going to have no way out. I mean, you see that Jesus actually knows people. He actually engages with where people are at. He listens to them, and he engages in their circumstances. And that, that only happens if you actually want to know and love somebody. Actually, them. Not just, I've got a formula, and let's keep going. And so it, it encourages us to, to learn about that, but, but also it helps us because he is radically generous with God's seed, and it's so different from what oftentimes I see in my life and what I see in the church. I mean, Jesus starts just, I mean, he's like casting out seed like it's never going to end. You know, or like, hey, man, I mean, don't you have like a bag? Like, is it going to like dry up? And he's like, nope. And he just keeps throwing seed everywhere. I mean, and sometimes I know I can be guilty of like, well, I've got like this one seed and I've got to like really like structure, all right, who is going to be receptive to the seed? Like, I'm not sure about them. Like, eh. like you, you look like a good recipient. All right, like I need to like find the right time. Like, all right, wait, 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 wait a couple months. All right, now, now's the right time, you know? And so we try to figure out, and Jesus seems like almost careless. He's just like sowing seed left and right, just throwing it out. And he, and it also is encouraging because, listen, three-fourths of the seed that Jesus throws out, it doesn't reach maturity. It doesn't, it doesn't f- bear fruit. And I think sometimes we feel like we're failures or we just didn't present the, th- the right thing or we didn't say the right thing in the right order of words. And so it's, it's our fault. And it, you see, that there's no fault of the sower. The only problem to the sower, the only way the sower can mess it up is by not sowing, right? I mean, the sower is not the one that can control the soil. He can't control the rocks. He can't control that. The, the thing that the sower can do is not sow, is not throw seed, and so he says, listen, throw the gospel out, throw seed out, continue to, to proclaim it to those that listen. And he says, it's gonna, you're going to encounter people with hard hearts. It doesn't matter how you structure it, how you say it. Jesus did it. I mean, here is the son of God saying this, and it falls on hard hearts, and people reject him. You think that you're better? Like, you think that, like, I figured it out. Nobody's going to reject me, but Jesus, they rejected him. I mean, you are going to encounter people that's going to fall on a hard heart. You're going to encounter people where it's going to fall on a, on a shallow heart, where it's going to spring up real quick, and then they're going to leave, and you're going to be so disappointed because you thought that, man, here was something. You're going to find people that it's going to fall on a divided heart, and you start to, to build relationships. You start to pour in a disciple, and you see that, that, that it's not there, and, and you, you're patient. You bear with patience, and you're going to find some that it's going to just, it's going to take off, but it's worth it, right? I mean, a hundredfold, how is it not worth it? And that's what he encourages us for. He's, listen, it doesn't matter what your labor is. It will be worth it. You will look back, and you will have no regret on the people that rejected you, on the people where it didn't, it, it cost you because of the results, because of the yield, it will be worth it. And so he says, sow the kingdom liberally, abundantly. It's all around. Another encouragement for us is that we're hearers, right? Because as we're listening to this, you know, hopefully all of us are kind of like, where's my heart? Well, I think I have a hard heart right now, you know, or I've got, you know, a, a shallow heart. I can see that my heart is just, you know, like I see areas where I'm just pulled really quickly or, man, I've got a divided heart. And so we're kind of doing this, and it's good. We should do that. We should evaluate our heart and the kind of soil that where our, our heart is at right now. But you can't change the soil of your heart. 
Right? Jesus isn't telling us to say, listen, all right, well, you better start fixing your heart and get things in order, you know, so you can receive my kingdom. No, we can't change our heart. Instead, what he says, he says, come to me and let me change your heart. Right? That is, that is where we start is no matter where your heart is, there is grace for you right where you're at. And Jesus says, he says, come to me wherever you are, no matter what stage your heart is in, come to me and I will change that soil. I will begin to, to till and to make it soft. I will begin to take the rocks out. I will bring in and I will weed that garden. Come to me and I will, I will make my seed fruitful in your life. Confess wherever you are at and, and just begin to follow Jesus and he will change you. And so no matter where you're at, respond to his grace. Allow him to come in and to change your hearts. Our last point, the, the last couple of verses, is that Jesus makes everything visible. All right, so in verses 16 through 18, he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will, be not, that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So like how in the world does this like correspond to the parable of the sower? Right? I mean like we're changing all kinds of metaphors. We're going to light now. And so bear with me, but this is really applicable. So one of the first observations that we need to understand is that the light is intended to be seen, right? Jesus says, listen, if you have the seed of the kingdom, you're intended to be a light, right? It's intended to be displayed. It's intended to be put on display for other people to see, right? You don't have the seed of the kingdom and have this light inside of you and say, all right, I think I'm going to keep to myself now, right? He says, no, a light is intended to be, to be seen. It's intended to be made evident. You don't put it under a, a bed or put it under a jar and, and hide it. And then he goes on and he says, there's nothing that is secret, or hidden, truly. There's nothing that is secret. There's nothing that is hidden. And why does he say that? He says this because it helps us to be honest with ourselves and with God about where we really are. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're struggling with. There's nothing that you can keep secret from him. One day, everything will be made known. Why? Why does he say this? He says this because we ought to live in light of that. We ought to live as if God is present with us right here, right now, because it changes our lives when we act and we, we live in the truth that God is here. God is actually present. So confession, I am the worst texter ever. Um, I mean, Josh, Darren, other people know it. I'm like, I'm bad. And so people will text me and I'll see it and it'll be like three days later. I'm like, oh, I need to text them back, you know, and I'll text them back, you know. And, uh, and so, but if somebody's next to me, right, if somebody's actually present, They'll like, you know, I mean, I respond instantly. You know, I'm like, hey, here you go. Here's your answer because they are actually with me. And so it changes how we respond if we think that the person is actually with us. You know, I mean, it changes how we live. And so Jesus says, listen, I know and I am here. I am present. Live in light of that. It will change the way that you hear my word. It will change the way that you receive my word and you obey my word. And so live in light of my presence. Not in fear, but in grace and in thankfulness and accountability, knowing that he has our best in mind. This whole passage, it, it's encouraging us to take care to hear, right? It says, be cautious, be aware of, of how you're hearing. Why? It's because God's kingdom, it comes through hearing, and it's only those that have ears to receive it, right? Those who, who simply hear and don't endure, um, those that hear with hard or shallow or divided hearts, they, they might think that they have understanding. They might think that they have the kingdom. That's where he says, he says, for those that have even more will be given to them, 
What's he talking about? And for those that have not, even what they think they have will be taken. Like, wait a second, Jesus. Like, why are you taking those from those poor people? Right? I mean, they don't have very much at all. Why are you taking the rest away? And like these people, they've got plenty. Why are you giving more to them? He's talking about the kingdom. Right? He's saying that, he's referring to the soils. Right? There are people that think that because they simply can regurgitate what the kingdom is, that they have it. He's saying they're, dece- they're deceiving themselves. And because they think they have it, even what they think they have will be taken away. Because they're not listening. They don't want to hear. But he says that to those that have, to those that have an open ear, that have ears to hear, he says, even what they have, it will be, it will be multiplied abundantly, like a, ten, like a hundredfold yield. And what they have, it will overflow. And so hear this, church, that he, God wants to give us the kingdom. He wants the kingdom, God's reign and rule, to usher into our lives, to change us, to empower us, to spread through this world. He just says, have ears to hear. Come to me wherever your heart is and I will meet you there and I will begin to help you to follow me. And so pray with me. Father, we're grateful for this uh, parable, we're grateful for this story. And so we pray, God, that, that we would come to you wherever we're at. Lord, you know where our heart is. You know the moments and times where it's hard or, or where it's shallow or even in times where it's divided. God, where our loyalties are, are broken. And so thankful that you are patient with us, that you endure with us. And so help us, God, just to, to come to you and ask you to help us to hear, help us to soak in your word, and that we would be obedient. Give us encouragement as sowers of your gospel, God. Remove fear, remove doubt, and help us to be liberal, to be joyful, and to be abundant with sowing your gospel. And let us see that yield, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.